All right, good morning, Gateway. How you doing? Good. You guys, you like the uh, thunder and lightning last night? Was that awesome? That was super cool. And then, like, I could go for that. Rain at night and sunny in the daytime. Anyone else sign up for that? Like, that would be all, oh, all of us. Okay, good. Well, I want to welcome you here this morning. And we are in the book of James. In fact, um, next weekend, I will be finishing up the book. Uh, but today, I've asked uh, Gary Rao to come, and he's going to be bringing the word to us. Some of you may recognize Gary, but he's actually, so he's one of the 915ers. So you, maybe you haven't seen him before. Uh, he goes to that service. And, uh, and so if you haven't seen him, you, you can understand that. But Gary and his family come to 915. And just to let you know a little bit about Gary. So Gary and I go way back. I was his youth pastor when he was just a kid in high school. And, uh, and then after I uh, left, after I bolted from youth ministry, uh, Gary went on to Bible college. And um, three of them. So <laughs> I didn't have to make that joke. And then um, that's another story. And then uh, youth, youth pastor for a while. Went with World Vision um, for about four years to Afghanistan during the war. And during Indonesia, just seemed like a great place to go during the war, Afghanistan. Wonderful. And I uh, did some work there, came back, um, kind of settled down. They live in the community here. He works at uh, Samuel that he'll tell you a little bit about across the river for like 11 years 11 now. 11 years, yeah. A manager over there. And um, Gary and his family were in our grow group for a while, but now he's a grow group leader. Uh, in fact, some of your grow groupies are here today. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and what I want you to know about Gary is this. Um, Gary's a guy, and we get together for coffee every now and then, and here's a guy who loves God, loves the gospel, loves the word of God, and loves people. And it's just always so fun to be with Gary because all those three things come together when you're with him. You catch his love for God, his love for the word, and his, his love for you, his love for people. And I, so I was thinking a few months ago, like, we should have Gary preach sometime in a worship service. So I invited him out for coffee and I uh, got him some coffee and then I uh, like sucker punched him and said, hey, <laughs> you know, you should preach uh, one weekend. And so uh, here he is. And I want to really encourage you to listen to what he has to say. Um, so I, I think you preached probably like what, many, many, many years ago? Like 20 years ago. So a few years ago, it's been. Uh, <clears throat> and so he was here last night, did a great job, and this morning. But I'm sure you're going to find that the 11 o'clock crowd is the best. It's probably the, the best. Probably the best in yeah. the whole church. So anyways, will you welcome uh, Gary to the pulpit this morning? Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> uh, good morning, church. Thank you, Bob. Uh, so I am... My name is Gary, and I've been married for about 20 years now to Robin. For the 915, Robin was sitting right over here, and it was uh, actually very comforting to see her, uh, and I'll miss her for this service. I think she's back in the the kids' ministry right now. Uh, And we'll celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary at the end of this month. Uh, We waited a little bit of time before we had kids. Uh, there we have a six-year-old, and her name is Nina, uh, and she is literally the sweetest thing in the world. She's so special. And then we have Max, and he's three. Last night, uh, Saturday night service, I said Max was not the sweetest thing in the world, but he was equally as special. Uh, and then this morning, he proved me wrong. So this morning, he came and he wanted me to sit on the couch, and then he snuggled up next to me uh, and wanted me to read a book and cuddle with me, and I was just like, oh, Max, you are the sweetest thing in the world. Oh, it, so we have two very special kids, and Max right now is very much into the why 
questions, right? He's asking why questions all the time, and it drives me a little bit crazy. Uh, whereas Nina, Nina has, uh, she's progressed to other questions. So she has questions like why and what, which I just love it. I can't get enough of it, right? Because she, it's about, about uh, exploration. It's about wonder, and it's about excitement. It's, a, it's about like finding new things that she can learn and discovery of those things. And I love being part of that. A good example. So we live right across the river, uh, right over there. And if your place is anything like mine, our yard has like a thin layer of dirt covering and surrounding a gajillion rocks. There's rocks, there's so many rocks. So I will dig a hole, and I kid you not, I will pour out, I've, and I've said this to my wife, like look at how many rocks I just pulled out of that hole. There's more rock than hole. Uh, it goes beyond reason. So Nina and I were in the backyard, and I'm digging, and there's rocks all over the place. And she is looking for worms. And then all of a sudden, I see her, and she has a rock, and she's staring at it. And so I stop what I'm doing. I'm staring at her, staring at the rock. And all of a sudden, she looks up at me, and she's like, Dad, what's a rock? <laughs> I was like, kids, right? Like, okay, Nina. So a rock is... Uh, I was mesmerized all of a sudden by a rock. I went running in to Robin. I was like, Nina just said, she asked me the most amazing question. And, and Robin's like, what? Uh, I went to work the next day. I'm an ops manager for a steel distribution uh, company. And I went, I took a rock inside for the guys. And I was like, guys, seriously, what is a rock? And they thought I was a little bit crazy, but nobody could answer the question right? It was something that was of significance for me because it began to change my perception about things, right? I started realizing that these rocks have been kicking around and digging out of the ground and so annoyed with, there was texture to these things, right? And there was, there was hidden secrets and mysteries about these things that I started feeling like I was excited about. And Nina knew that, and she fed on that, and she began to ask me questions about all kinds of stuff, about trees and clouds and water and glass, and it goes on. And we could talk this entire time about the mysteries of the things that are surrounding us all the time. And I bring this up because today in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, we will be talking about some very simple ideas, confession of sin and prayer. Right? These are like, this is like Christianity 101 type things. And it's good for us to really dwell on these topics, not just to dismiss them and go, yeah, I've, I've heard that a hundred times before, right? Maybe we have heard it a hundred times before. Maybe we've read it a million times before. But it's good for us as children of God to go before God our Father, to listen to His words and begin with a childlike mind to begin to discover how deep and how rich are the words of God. So deep. Uh, last night, I told uh, 9.15 this earlier, uh, last night, I'm, so I'm preaching about prayer, but last night I forgot to pray, which is like a huge sermon faux pas, right? So uh, 
let me pray before we move on so I don't forget again. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for children, for the wonder and excitement that they help bring to our minds. Uh, We just thank you so much for your presence here in this building, for your presence here in our heart. Help us uh, with our mind just to draw our mind closer to you. Soften our heart to the message that you have, um, not that I have. Help us to listen to your words uh, and to your message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're in James 5, 16 through 18. And James says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, I started asking myself some probing questions about these, right? I I took uh, things like prayer, I took things like confession of sin, and I held them up, and I was like, what is it? What are these things? What do they look like for me in my life? And I found, and this is probably not news to you guys, but I found that there are simple biblical truths that are just absolutely beautiful and amazing. God revealed two things. He highlighted two things for me in my life. It started about three weeks ago as I prepared for the lesson. Uh, and the two big ideas that God has for me, we'll be talking about that today. These two big ideas, which are they're right here, purpose and power up on the board, each one has a gift that's associated with it, that is intertwined in with that gift that brings about more meaning for us. So it's important for us to touch on those gifts as well, to underline those things so the principles can be fully realized in our life. So big idea number one, our words have purpose. We were born for a purpose, I believe. I believe you believe that too, right? We were made with, for a reason. We were saved for a reason. We were bought with a price. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who bought us. And our tongue is an important and powerful part of the purpose that God has called us to. And there's two purposes for the tongue that we find in the beginning of, of the passage, and that is we, we are to confess to one another and that we are pray to one another. So number one, confess our sins to each other. James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. It's not something that we're in the habit of doing. I'm not. I started valuing myself and started really looking at my life and what I was doing, and I found that I was, basically I was passing this scripture up again and again, right? Because I, I started thinking about it. Confessing to someone else, well, that is humiliating. It's embarrassing. It's a vulnerability that I'm like, like letting out there, right? I don't, I don't feel good about that. And so I justified myself and the reasons why I try to scheme and, and uh, figure out ways that I, that I don't have to confess to someone like, well, God's already, he's already forgiven my sin. Like I've confessed to God, why do I need to confess to another person? And that's true. We should be clear from the start that what James is talking about is not forgiveness of sin. Okay? When it comes to the vertical relationship that we have with God, the problem with sin keeping us from God has been dealt with with the sacrifice of Jesus. 
1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Not 99%, and then we have to do 1% to try to get it to 100%. He does it all, 100%. So, why do we confess sins to one another? It's because I believe that issues with sin run very deep. When we sin, it introduces, just like living with symptoms of an illness, it introduces pain into our lives. It introduces pain into our relationships. And we suffer the consequences of our sin, mental, emotional, spiritual, certainly physical ramifications of our sin. And sin and guilt, this is important, sin and guilt, they thrive in secrecy. That's where they, that's where they feed They thrive in secrecy, and that is exactly where the devil wants it. He wants it there because it's crippling for us, and it's painful for us, and we focus on that and not the things of God. And God, he's calling us to confession. Psalm 32, 3, this is David talking about his sin. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. It's killing him inside. It's tearing him up inside, holding that in. God sees the ultimate big picture, right? He knows what works. He knows what doesn't work. He knows answers to questions that we don't even know questions about. He's our creator. He loves us perfectly. And he's writing us a prescription. He's writing us a prescription as the great physician, and he's giving us medicine. And the medicine looks like humility and confession, And all too often, I shy away. He gives me the medicine, and I say, I don't think I'm going to like the way it tastes. It's important for us to trust God. And it's easy for us to trust God because God is a good God. Is he not? He is a good God, and he wants good things for us. The first gift that we're going to talk about that's associated with the purpose of our tongue and the words that we say is we find it two times in James in our passage. He says, confess to one another and pray for one another. We are the one another, right? The gift is the church. And the more I started thinking about the church, the more I started realizing how incredibly special the church is. And how precious of what we have here, not just in this building, but in our ministries, and our pastors, and our close personal friendships that we have with one another. The Bible describes the church as his bride, right? As his bride. He established it. He owns it. Acts 20, 28. This is Paul. And he's leaving the church at Ephesus, and he's making a commission to the elders. And he's telling them, watch yourselves and be careful with the church. And he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What we have here is an amazing and priceless gift of God. But I see that there's a possibility. I know for me in my life there is. There's a possibility. There's a predisposition in my life to take the gifts of God uh, 
and not fully realize them in my life. And it kind of looks like this. So God gives us a present. It's a beautifully wrapped present. It has the perfect paper. It's got the perfect ribbon. It's got the perfect bow. And he gives it to us, and we take it. We're thankful for it. We appreciate it. We admire it. We may even tell our friends and family about it. But we never open it up. See, the substance of the gift of the church is what's on the inside. And one of the ways that we access the substance of this gift is through confession of sin with one another. And if we aren't doing well, like Pastor Bill talked about last week, if we're feeling sick, we're feeling weak, what does God say to do? Does He say just distract yourselves more, right? to entertain ourselves more? No. He says, go to a trusted brother or sister in Christ and confess to one another. And it's important for us to take a quick look at exactly what James is talking about when he's talking about confession of sin. Uh, because it's been misinterpreted throughout the ages. Right? Confession here is not penance. It's not about us using a brother or sister in Christ as a priest. God alone forgives the trespasses of sin, and Jesus is our high priest and the only intercessor between God and man. Conf- confession here isn't telling everyone that you meet. It's not about coming up on stage and airing your dirty laundry to everyone. The idea is about having a small handful of close personal brothers and sisters in Christ that you would trust with this level of intimacy. And notice that the text says to confess our sins to one another. It's not about being vague. It's not about going to someone and saying, hey, I'm really struggling. Uh, Will you pray for me because I feel like I'm weak, right? It's literally about naming our sin. Sorry about that. Uh, If we're the receiver of confession, it's not about listening with the intent to somehow minimize what we are dealing with. Is it me? (laughs) We don't listen so that we can think, I'm glad I'm not the only one struggling with that. Or, wow, I'm glad my life isn't that messed up. It's not about trying to give our two cents worth or trying to conjure up some kind of advice. Maybe it is me. (laughs) It's It's not about trying to distract them away from the healing that needs to take place while they're confessing. So when we confess to another, part of what we're doing is we are investing into a relationship that God has given to us. It's investing a precious piece of our heart for a Christian brother or sister to keep secure because it's our humility. It's our weakness. Confession is precious and needs to be handled with care. So how do we handle it? Well, we take it to God. The second thing that our tongue is meant for, the purpose of our tongue is to pray for one another. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So I recently asked uh, several guys that I work with, both believers and non-believers alike, uh, two questions about prayer. The first question was, have you ever prayed? It was a resounding yes. Even non-believers, of course, they say, of course, that they have prayed. 
Uh, the second question is, do you think that it works? Now, that was a mixed bag. It was a complete mixed bag, right? But there was something in common with all of their responses that I took notice of and I thought that was important. Whether it was yes or no, they said yes, but, or no, but. And they said, but I think that most prayers seem to be a bit selfish. And I thought that was very interesting, and I really started thinking about that as far as the effectiveness of prayer. And I wanted to know what America was praying about. So there's a recent poll from LifeWay Research that asked Americans what they prayed for. And of the people that said that they prayed regularly, 21% said they wanted to win the lottery. And honestly, I thought, I thought that number was going to be higher, to be honest, because like, I may have been guilty of that at one time. Uh, 13% asked for their favorite team to win the game. All right. Uh, 5%. Now, I know 5% doesn't sound like a big number, but if you think about it in terms of the number of people, that's 1 in 20 people who pray regularly. 5% ask God to end a relationship. 1 in 20 people prayed for someone to get fired. 1 in 20 people prayed for someone to fail. So just grisly subjects, right? And these are the things being brought to God. James, in chapter 4, he says, we don't have because we don't ask God. That doesn't mean that we're not asking God for a myriad of things. But these things have nothing to do with the mind of God. These things don't have anything to do with what his kingdom looks like. He goes on in chapter 4 to say that when we do ask, we ask with the wrong motives so that we can spend what we have on our pleasures, And I really started thinking about my prayer life. And I was like, when is the last time that I really thought, what do I really need? And what is it that the people around me in my life, what is it that they really need? And I should be asking myself these questions. What are the things that I'm praying about? And why am I praying for those things? Fortunately for us, James is being very clear about the topics of our prayers. He says that we pray for strengthening and healing of our brothers and sisters. God hears and he responds. And this healing, this is like a strengthening and building up. Pastor Bill talked about it last week. We pray for strengthening and healing, right? And that is about physical, mental, emotional. It is all those things. It is all the things that sin affects. God is reminding us here that we are here for a purpose. James tells us that our tongue should be confessing sins to one another and then taking these as topics to God so that we can experience strengthening in our faith. First big idea is our words have purpose. The second big idea is that there is power in prayer. Now, in chapter 3, if you remember, James is talking about the tongue. He's talking about how powerful it is. And that it's like a fire, right? And it, it, it's something that uh, consumes the, of someone's life and begins to even change the whole trajectory of their life. He says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. If we flip that around, the flip side of that, it's not surprising then to know that words of love and life filled with wisdom, those can be powerful words too. Right? I can't help but think of like a, a motivational speaker. So a motivational speaker, if, it's, if he or she is a good one, you walk away and there's something stirred inside of you. 
there's something that it does something. And even for a short time, you feel motivated and you feel like, I can do it. I can sell it. And people like me, right? These are the things that, like, you go away feeling good about those things. But these are words spoken to people. What James is talking about, he says there are words that are powerful and effective. And these words are spoken to God, right? The words that we speak to one another, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then James says the prayer of the righteous are powerful and effective. This ability that we have to speak to God in prayer, this is also a gift, and the gift comes from somewhere. So on the cross, Jesus took everything that was gross about us, everything that was vile, everything that was disgusting. He took all of that, and that was our gift to him. He takes that gift and exchanges it for his gift to us, which is his righteousness. It's something we couldn't do for ourselves. We couldn't pull ourselves up by our own bootstrings. We couldn't somehow spark to life a dead soul that was inside of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it so plainly. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why? It is this righteousness that Christ gives which provides access to the very throne room of God. To be able to go to him, the God of the universe, and call him Father. And he bends his ear to our words And he listens to us and responds. And he is powerful, is he not? He is mighty, and there is no one more effective than our God. Righteousness that we have, it starts there, which is a pretty good start. And then it begins to grow. The gift of righteousness should be held on to tightly. It needs to be treasured. It needs to be valued and protected Jesus gives us the gift of righteousness so that we can live righteously. It changes our perspectives, our motivations, our perceptions. It is like a righteous tree, to use the the terminology that James uses. It's like a righteous tree planted in us, producing righteous fruit. Right? It's the whole theme of James. Faith works. Why? Because we have righteousness inside of us, and that just can't help but produce righteous fruit. God's righteousness and his indwelling of a spirit begin to take our mind and our heart and make it so that they are more in agreement with the mind and heart of God. See, James is saying, think of the power that exists when our tongue and the God of the universe are in agreement together. Think of the healing and strength available when our perspective is focused on the kingdom of God and not about winning the lottery. When we confess our sins to each other and this becomes the topic of conversations with God, he bends his ear to our words. He responds in power, his power. The example that James gives 
is Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, if you're in the congregation when Pastor James uh, is teaching on this, and he's talking about the power of prayer, and he comes up with the example like Elijah, the congregation says, amen, because Elijah, he is legendary. He called fire down from heaven. He brought a widow's son back from the dead. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. But James put a twist on it. So the congregation's thinking of something else, but James says, consider Elijah. Think about Elijah. He was a man just like we are. He got hungry. He got tired. He got a little bit whiny at times. He got scared and wanted to run away. So it begs the question then, where did his power come from? First of all, he knew what he needed to pray about. He knew it. It was his calling. The things that he prayed about had to do about bringing the hearts and minds of the people of Israel back to God and letting the whole world know that Yahweh is the only true God. The second thing that made his prayers powerful is the person that he directed those to. He didn't, he didn't direct his prayers to an idol made of stone and wood. He directed it to the only true God of the universe. Elijah prayed to the same God that we do. So you see, James isn't saying that powerful prayer to have it, we should be more like Elijah. He is saying that we and Elijah, we are the same. So we should never, as believers, think that powerful and effective prayers of the righteous is something that doesn't apply to us. That's why James, again and again, says, when is a good time to pray? A good time to pray, it's right now. Are you hurting? Are you sick? You should pray. Are you feeling good? You should go to God. Are you lacking wisdom? You should ask God for that. Every time is a good time to pray. Because powerful prayer isn't something that we have to try and to attain or to hope for or to be like someone else in order to have. It has already been provided to us, and it is available to us right now. So in closing... There's a word up there, earnestly. It says that he prayed earnestly. In some translations, it says that he prayed fervently. And if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, we see the story. It's after the three and a half years of drought, and it's time for Elijah to pray to God to ask God to bring back the rains. And he goes up to the top of a mountain, and it says specifically that he kneels down to the ground and he puts his head between his knees. I love that. His posture reflects his heart. It reveals his dependence on God. He was fully engaged in what God wanted him to do, fully engaged with his role as God's servant. He was primarily focused on his purpose and his calling, focused on his purpose. If you're anything like me, then you find it so challenging to remember that the main thing in life is to keep the main thing the main thing. 
It's difficult to do that because there are so many minor things in life that pollute our minds and pull us away from the beautiful, amazing gift of the church. It pulls us away from accessing that gift and the substance of that gift that it has for us. It pulls us away from embracing our righteousness and producing fruit in keeping with that righteous nature that God has made inside of us. If you find yourselves being distracted from your purpose, if you find yourself being drawn away to produce some other kind of fruit, then I encourage you, find a close brother or sister in Christ. Confess that to them and ask them to pray for you. You find that you're lacking passion about prayer. You find you're lacking passion about purpose and that what we're created for. That starts with our heart, and that's God's expertise. So I encourage you, Find a close brother or sister in Christ and confess that to them and ask them to pray. And what if we don't, we know, what, if we don't know what to confess or how to pray for someone else? Chapter 1, James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, they're to ask God. Go to God in prayer. So confession of sin to one another, prayer for one another, the power of that prayer, these things, they have deep, deep texture. There's so much more uh, to this passage than I could possibly talk about in, the, in a relatively short sermon. These are like sermon series that we're talking about. So I encourage you, if you're in a grow group, take these ideas, go back to your grow group and discuss them. If you don't have a grow group, please talk to Pastor Bill afterwards about how to get involved. But take these things and begin to discuss them. Let them begin to ruminate in your mind and begin to think about how it applies to your life. Bring it home to your family to discuss it. Talk to close personal friends. Talk to pastors here at church. And it's my prayer that each of you finds one trusted brother and sister in these discussions to be able to pray for one another, to be able to confess sins one another, and that God will hear these prayers and he will respond in power. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your word, uh, for your spirit for Jesus and all the things that you have given to us. You've given us so many good gifts. Help us to see those things. Help us to realize those things in our life so that we can take these principles and go away from here and to confess to one another. Pray that we be able to find a close brother or sister that we can confess to, that we can reveal these things to them so that there can be, there can be healing. We welcome your power. We welcome it, Lord Jesus. We're thankful that you're here, and we're thankful that you go with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.